popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. Um, I did ask Simon if he could uh, give me the title of his dissertation, but it was so long. Uh, and it's much better if he came up with, with his own title. And it is relevant, very relevant, to the topic that we're talking about um, attract, retain, and engage. So can I just hand over to you? You certainly can. <laughs> Thank you very much, Philip. Um, so I know you're expecting, I think you're expecting the group sales director for, for the Royal Mail Group today, and instead you've got me, a, a middle-aged student, talking about some research that he did. But um, I'll try and make it reasonably interesting. But on the subject of um, being a student, and something I just wanted to echo that Nick just talked around, actually. So... I've just um, I've just come off the two-year master's program with uh, the good folk at Consalia. And uh, again, I promise, I, I've not been asked to, to say this, but it, it's probably been the most enriching experience of my entire career, actually. And it certainly changed my perspective on some things. And I can see my fellow cohort here, and I'm, I'm sure they'd certainly agree with that sentiment. So uh, I'm going to talk you through um, a piece of research that I did specifically around the phenomenon of the great resignation. Um, now, I should probably state that this research journey actually started back in um, in January of this year. And, uh, you know, lots changed since, since then, actually. If you think about the, you know, the political, environmental and social changes that have taken place this year, um, I think certainly this this research reflects you know a moment in time, but I think one thing I would say is I think its principles will kind of really stand the test of time in terms of uh, talent retention for for sales professionals. So um, let me move on to the the, the long title. So the title is "Can Vision and Coaching Be Combined as a Strategy to Reduce Attrition of Sales Professionals in the Backdrop of?" The Great Resignation. Okay, um, so uh, I guess why is this important? In fact, before I ask that, is anybody in the room who is not familiar with the term "The Great Resignation" or hasn't heard about it, read about it, etc.? 
No, okay, good. That helps. Um, so the, the phrase was actually first coined by uh, a professor at May uh, Business School at Texas University, a chap called Anthony Klotz back in uh, 2021. And um, it kind of, it, it became a real sort of global phenomenon. It got a lot of kind of media attention. And uh, I was kind of certainly keen to try and understand a little bit more about uh, really kind of what was what was driving it. But there's one thing I can absolutely assure you, which is whilst we can probably sit here and debate the longevity of the Great Resignation, um, in 21 and uh, in 2022, it was absolutely real. Um, so I want to give you a kind of sense of the gratitude, uh, of the, 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 the kind of scale of the issue, basically. So you probably recall kind of, uh, you know, the, the media being dominated with, with headlines uh, like this. And uh, like I said, like any kind of phenomenon, I wanted to kind of really try and get under the skin around what was actually driving this. Because what I was certainly seeing within my own business at the time was that we were seeing some really unprecedented movement within our kind of sales community and almost a mass migration of salespeople that were really taking advantage of a, of a kind of moment in time for various reasons to kind of impact their own lives. Um, and really to kind of understand the scale of the problem, we kind of really need to, to get into to the numbers on this. So let me just explain these, uh, these graphs for you. So um, the source of this data is the Office of, of National Statistics. And when I started this research journey back in early 21, what you can see, this graph on the uh, left, which is a view of people moving job to job through resignation, as you can see, there was a huge spike which continued through into uh, through 21 and was at the highest point in record. And this is UK data, um, the source being the ONS. And uh, equally, if you look at the corresponding view on number of vacancies within the UK, again, you can see this dramatic spike in terms of um, vacancies versus um, people moving job to job through, um, through resignation. Now, here's the thing, right? So, Replacement cost for sales professionals is estimated to be anywhere between about one half to two times annual salary, depending on the kind of grade or experience uh, or track record of, of sales professionals. And if you think about the unprecedented movement in the, uh, in the employment market, this is just another thing that's creating a real downward pressure on earnings for, for organizations at the moment. And there was a point that Patrick made actually this morning, uh, talking about salary inflation. So certainly what I was seeing was that, you know, some very average salespeople were able to command some very, very high salaries at the time because businesses were competing so hard to attract and retain, you know, talent. And, and that model is unsustainable, right? It, it's not sustainable. And there will become a point where the market calls and, you know, an FD is going to look at his is P&L and look at all his FTE lines and suddenly start to look at the ROI of those hires and determine actually, you know, did we overpay for these people? And the reality is at that time, yes. Um, so as I said, you know, I think one thing is for sure, right? The very best salespeople will always be highly prized recruits to compete in organizations. So there is, there's a saying that says, you know, that, the key to a good story is not kind of what or how, but why. You know, why is this happening? And uh, this is a view from Gartner from an interesting, um, an interesting article called Resignation or Not, 
money won't fix all of your talent problems. And then, and I think what's quite interesting here is they created this model, which was a view looking at all of the causes of attrition and they kind of segmented it. Um, and as we know, Gartner liked to create a model for pretty much everything, whether it's the hype cycle or the magic quadrum, or this one was based around attrition. And what I thought was quite interesting is when they looked at the organizational triggers for um, employee attrition, and they called out three things actually, lack of personal growth opportunities, um, lack of managerial support for career advancement, and uh, a lack of recognition for contribution, uh, contribution, which I thought was, was, was quite interesting. So that's one external view that's out in the public domain right now. Um, but if I were to kind of just summarize my secondary data sources, so this is the external literature that I was kind of researching to get a view of, you know, why are people quitting their jobs, basically? And, um, and interestingly, uh, there was a research firm called uh, Statista that basically looked at the period from April 21 to 22 and did quite a significant survey. Their sample set was in excess of 13,000. It was a global survey um, and it covered the UK. And essentially, they looked at all the reasons people were quitting. And as you can probably see, it's the, uh, it's the top bar graph with the, the horizontal, um, uh, the horizontal uh, bars in the top right. And lack of career, career development and advancement was the number one at 41%, which topped pay. Um, and I'll come on to pay shortly, um, because I think there is still a misconception around pay and salespeople and what motivates them primarily. Um, and interestingly, uh, the other thing that came out of my secondary research was that disengaged employees have a higher propensity to leave organizations. Now, that probably seems quite a logical assumption. Um, but interestingly, there was some research done by Forbes, um, and this study looked at, um, it basically looked at the relationship between employee engagement and um, meaningful organizational vision. And essentially what that study uh, found was that um, those people that found their organization's vision meaningful were much more deeply engaged. Um, which was an interesting correlation. I'm going to come back to that. But essentially, um, what you've got here, figure one, is really uh, an illustration of the relationship between the macroeconomic conditions, the problem and the opportunity statement, and the research questions. So to summarize, if vision improves engagement and coaching supports personal development and growth, can vision and coaching be combined as a strategy to reduce attrition of sales professionals in the backdrop of the great resignation? And uh, then began the research question. So, um, so I'm not going to get too, too academic on this now. I was going to get into... Uh, this. <laughs> way there, way there, way there. Um, are there any students in the room, by the way? Quite a few. I was going to say, go, all the students, okay. Right, okay. Um, so I'm not going to get into a whole load of depth about um, my research philosophy. The only thing I will do, I will explain the fishbowl, basically. So one of the problems I had as a student, many intelligent people tried to explain this to me, which was the difference between constructivism and, uh, and positivism. 
And uh, I was, you, know, you, need, you need to clearly define your research philosophy in your paper. And I was like, I can't do that because I, I can barely pronounce the words that I don't determine their meaning. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually found there was a great video. It was a three-minute video on YouTube. It was like research philosophy for dummies. And the, basically, what, the way they described it is they said, OK, if your research subjects are fish and you want to study them but attach meaning to their experiences, then you can't study the fishbowl from a distance. You've got to jump into the fishbowl and interact with the fish to attach meaning to their behavior and experiences, right? So that's your constructivism. And positivism is, is when you're viewing from a distance. Now, given my research subjects were sales professionals and sales leaders, clearly that led itself to, to constructivism. And the relativism bit was basically, my view was, there is no one reality or truth that we can append to causes of the Great Resignation, right? Because there are many realities and many truths, hence the position on, on relativism. Uh, in terms of my research approach, it was action research, uh, used mixed methods in terms of both collecting quantitative and qualitative data, each data set informing one another. And in terms of the methods, so I had a sample of senior sales leaders that I interviewed. And also I wanted to capture the views of a community of frontline sales leaders. So I created a questionnaire that was done on a, a Likert scale. So basically a series of statements, strongly agree, agree, neither agree, disagree, strongly disagree, et cetera. And then essentially modeled the data looking at um, kind of mean averages against certain statements, et cetera. And uh, in terms of the uh, the analysis of the qualitative data that was done for formatic content analysis. So that, that's as academic as I'm going to get on the, the subject. There we go. Right. So moving on. Um, so here's the key research findings that came out of this. So we're going to talk through the but I want to talk about these four, which I think are the most um, the most important. So the first one is subjects are guided by vision, either personal or organisational. So I'm going to elaborate on that shortly. Um, the other thing that was interesting is subjects feel that they lack personal growth opportunities. So if you remember when we were talking about my secondary sources of data, the Gartner research, the statistical research, evidence in the, these were some of the, the, the biggest causes of attrition within the sales, within, um, within the, the, the market. Well, as you can see, the alignment of my sort of primary and secondary data sources. Coaching experience are inconsistent within the sample. Um, so it was quite interesting um, there was a, a very different viewpoint from the sales leaders and the frontline sales professionals around their interpretation of what coaching is and what it isn't. Um, something that Philip talks about in his book, Selling Transform, which is a great book, by the way. I loved it. Um, I've never played second plug of the day. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, and here's an interesting one. Pay was cited, um, pay was the most cited retention strategy for salespeople. So essentially this is, you know, sales leaders saying that actually I'm going to um, contain my flight risks through incremental pay, right? So there you go. Let's, let's, let's get into, uh, let's get into the, the detail of those then. Um, so, okay. Um, so I'm going to talk about the power of vision. Now, I think the one thing to say is that not everybody buys into the concept of vision. Not everybody is a, is a visionary, right? So I was really quite stunned by these results. So 
This is the results from the surveys that went out to the sample of sales professionals. And 100% of them agreed that their organization is driven by a vision and could confidently describe it. Um, and then we had a further 94% that believed in their organization's vision. And then another 94% that believed they were personally contributing to that. So they were part of the cause, right? And I was really encouraged by this. I thought, actually, this is a real opportunity because I think one of the challenges we have sometimes is that in our corporate world, you know, vision sometimes gets lost somewhat and can become an empty corporate slogan on the wall of the reception. And the fact that these people were so emotionally attached to it just filled me with delight and hope. I'm going to talk about pay versus personal growth opportunities. So, um, like I said, you know, Competing on pay was the most cited retention strategy from the, uh, the sales leaders. And again, I thought it was an interesting observation because I think, you know, there's this logical assumption that because salespeople are motivated through commission schemes, that they're, I heard this term used the other day, that, that we're coin-operated, like we're a bunch of fruit machines or something, you know. Salespeople are coin-operated. All they care about is the paycheck. Well, actually... Um, you know, interestingly, some of the results that I've got would suggest that actually there's more to a decision with staying with an organization than just the paycheck, right? Um, uh, but interestingly, 56% of those participants disagreed that they have good personal growth opportunities at work. So I guess my point is, is that if I were to develop a strategy to reduce attrition of my sales professionals and really contain those flight risks, if I'm going to develop a strategy around incremental pay, then based on those results, that would suggest that could be highly effective for the minority 25%. But would it work for the 75% that said, hey, you know, I'm adequately paid for what I do? My view would be actually I'd probably want to focus down here on the 56% of participants that said, do you know what? I don't think I've got really good growth opportunities at, at work. And uh, going back to that statement that, you know, the very best salespeople, right, they're, they'll always be highly prized recruits to compete in organizations, right? So that was my kind of, you know, personal opinion on that, but that, that was the data, okay? My paper brings together the research from some really credible sources. So you've got, you know, some of the research firms like um, Statista, Gartner, some of the major consultancy organizations like um, uh, you've got, McKinsey and Company, you've got Deloitte, et cetera. So credible sources plus a number of academic sources, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the most common theme that emerged from my secondary sources, so the stuff that was out in the public domain, um, was that a lack of development and growth opportunities is one of the primary factors driving employee attrition at the moment. Now, if you look at the, um, the results from my primary sources, um, they concluded that a perceived lack of development and growth opportunities is highly prevalent within, within the sample. Um, so you can see how the primary and secondary data sets align. And more importantly, you can see what the key problem is here. So how do we address this problem and create deep engagement with our salespeople? So I would like to introduce you to a conceptual coaching method. Uh, it's called V2Grow. And it's basically a modification of Sir John Whitmore's GROW model, which he introduced in the, the late 1980s. Um, and I'm sure some of you are, are very familiar with, certainly the, the coaches in the room. 
Um, now, here's the difference, right, is that the original Glow method was designed mainly to focus on a present reality. Okay, so specifically it's used for, for goal setting, um, performance and, and problem solving. And I'd really concluded early in my sort of master's study that it sort of lends itself to kind of short-termism, kind of in the moment, really. Um, now, what V2 Grow does is it introduces vision and essentially extends a coaching perspective to be more long range in its perspective and therefore lends itself more to growth, development and career advancement. And it's predicated on this question. Who do you want to be? Okay. Um, and that has to be defined before any learning agenda or goals can be set. Okay. Um, now, Achieving the very best version of ourselves, often that requires some level of behavioral modification. And as I'm sure some of you are aware, you know, behavior is directly influenced by our values and our beliefs. Um, again, something that Philip wrote extensively in, in his book. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, therefore, as part of the vision setting exercise, sometimes it is necessary to define or redefine our values and our beliefs as part of that process. Um, and I was just trying to think of an example, actually, on my way in here, and I hadn't prepared one, but um, the best I could come up with was, you know, if I had a vision of being the trusted advisor to my customer, you know, the real trusted partner, then that would be predicated on being truly customer-centric, not supplier-centric, because that's just self-serving behavior, right? So therefore, one of my core values would have to be based upon customer centricity. So as you can see, looking at how do we align our values to the vision. And that's essentially where this comes from, this V2 concept, is that it stands for vision and it stands for values. And sometimes it is necessary to reconnect with our core values as part of the, the vision setting process. Okay. Um, so the rest of the model is pretty much as, as Sir John Whitmore intended, basically, in terms of goals, reality, options, world. So this is the kind of the new bit, basically, that's bolted on the, the front end. But as you can see, it, it really does extend its, its perspective from short-termism to, to more long-range. So I just want to talk about the future. I, I sort of alluded at the start that, um, you know, a lot's changed since I started this research journey. Um, and I think what's encouraging, there was a piece, again, some, some Gartner research that was posted that showed that um, when they did a, a study of CEOs' top 10 strategic business uh, priority areas, we could see that workforce had grown from position five to position three in the chart. So there's really a renewed focus on, I guess, that human capital now. Um, and I thought that was rather in, encouraging, but I think the challenge we've got now is, you know, if I think about the social, economic and political environment that we're in at the moment, I mean, you know, we've got record-breaking inflation, we've got crippling energy bills, we've got, um, you know, a real cost of living crisis. And I think what that will do is that will have some influence on what employees are, are simply now prioritising um, with their employers. So I think we're, we're going to see a, you know, we're going to see a shift. What we're going to see is almost a rebalancing 
of um, kind of supply and demand economics within the employment market at the moment. Um, and I think we're going to see, you know, the great resignation will, will kind of will cool um, as the market is, is, is called. Um, and it's been, you know, be interesting. I sort of alluded to the fact that, you know, we've, we've lived for a period, I think there was a definite bubble in the market um, and we're certainly heading into some difficult times. So uh, I didn't want to sort of end on a gloomy picture, but I think the great resignation is certainly coming to an end. And I think we're seeing a shift now. And really for this study to have credit, you know, really sort of be really credible, I think it would need to be done on a longitudinal, uh, kind of say it, longitudinal basis to kind of capture experiences over time. So as I said, it was, it was based on a moment in time, but I hope you found that interesting. And uh, that's me done and over for some questions. The V2 model. Simon, um, so you've been using that for a few months now. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm, I wouldn't say I've, I've really sort of operationalised it at the moment. But interesting, I've had some. Um, so I'm a sales executive at Salesforce. I have a, a sort of wider account team that I work with, and there's a couple of quite young people that are sort of coming through the junior ranks. And uh, we've sat down and I've asked them the question, you know, who do you want to be? And what's really struck me is that you know, how that question lands. It usually sort of is followed by me saying, you know, take your time. It's, it's a big question, right? Who do you want to be? And what I've seen is that people kind of stop and suddenly kind of really self-reflect on that question and think, yeah, who, who do I want to be? And then we kind of get into exploring almost a kind of a vision and a picture of what that could look like. Um, and then that becomes almost the, the, the kind of guiding beacon for uh, for the for the rest of the, for the direction of, yeah. of travel, really. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and I guess that can cover their career as well as how they want to be as a salesperson. Then, so you kind of it's, it's such a powerful question. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Great. And exactly, Ian helps from Consania. Well, next then, if it's not the Great Resignation, you got your V two Grow model. It strikes me that's uh, an expansive interpersonal discussion. How else can you use it in, if you assume the great resignation will be at least partly um, overridden by other factors now? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to understand. So using your model, regardless of whether it's great resignation or not. Okay. Um, so what next for it? Um, so, you know, there was a, there was, um, I was really interested by some of the things that Nick was talking around, you know, bringing the youth through um, the academy and bringing this, you know, I love seeing graduates because they're full of energy and they're, they're unspoiled and they're hungry and they're, you know, they're not jaded cynics like me. Um, but, you know, my, my view was, you know, these people, they just need some direction, some support, coaching and mentoring. But equally, you know, if, if there was a, a, a quote that I, I love from Ken Blanchard, it was like, if your people don't know where you're going, then your leadership doesn't matter. And this is a way of defining that direction, but helping them self-discover it rather than you kind of prescribing it. Um, so I, I'm quite passionate about the application of it, actually. I haven't figured it all out, um, but I think it, it, it has a place.
Thank you. Um, it's really interesting uh, um, um, presentation. I'm, I'm doing something very similar uh, and, and finishing it. Um, I'm just curious, you, you talked about the career development uh, being the number one career progression. I think it's, it's a very easy thing to say. And, and, and I, I work with our graduates and it's something that comes out quite a bit, but it's very hard to define. And, and, and an example would be um, career development to some people is I want to be vice president in six months, you know? And I, I think it's such a difficult subject and, and it's something that really needs to be explored. I'm just wondering your thoughts on that because when somebody says I want career progression, career development, I'm, I'm straight away thinking times, scales, understanding, you know, uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. It's one I've, I've kind of thought about because I think career development, to your point, can mean different things for different yeah. people. It can mean up sideways yeah. uh, it could be academic it could be um you know more sort of on the job practical skills and so on and i think that that's probably for i think we have a responsibility as, as people leaders to really tease out amongst our people what does it actually mean and then help build the platform for them to kind of achieve those those goals but you're absolutely right I, I, there's not really one definition for it and it gets generalized a lot but um, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's one of those things that we, we see a lot yeah. and, and it's very hard to define. So yeah, yeah. I agree with what you said. I agree. Okay, any more questions? Let me comment. We were the first long range guidance ballistic missile. Careful where you go with it. That's true, yeah. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> I might change the name in convention. <laughs> uh, so says Otho, who is ex-Israeli uh, military army. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>